0: Right, this is Dark Days Radio episode number 69, and we've got a great episode for you tonight talking to the folks over at By Night Studios. But joining me, hosting the show tonight, we do, of course, have Chig. How's it going, Chig? Doing pretty well, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing phenomenal. I'm just uh, just chipper, excited, and, and ready for this awesome broadcast. And, of course, we've also got Chris. How's it going, Chris? Hello. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, busy, but good. <laughs> right on. And... Coming from Bionite Studios, we have Jason the Elder. Hello, hello, hello. It's
1: a gray day here in Seattle. Perfect World of Darkness weather.
0: Nice, Seattle. Good to hear, good to hear. And we've also got Jason the Younger. Hello there. Also from Seattle. And uh, the important thing to note is that I'm younger than the Elder. The <laughs> nice. Yeah, we should, uh, We should, of course, clarify that uh, Jason the Elder is Jason Carl from By Night Studios, and Jason the Younger is Jason Andrew, also with By Night Studios. And finally, we have the chipper editor of By Night Studios, Loopy. How's it going, Loopy?
2: It's going great today, guys. Welcome from Las Vegas.
0: Ooh, nice. Las Vegas, cool. So we got some cool uh, West Coasters slash Western half of the country people here. That's good. That's good. All right. So, uh, how has everyone's gaming been? What have you guys been up to?
3: Um, uh, let's think. I've been doing more war gaming. I've been playing with my scorn. Uh, they've been doing uh, not that great, but this coming week, uh, the game points go up, so I get to take along some more torturous people to my uh, in my army. Mike, I get to take some pain givers. Finally, excellent. Yeah, should do. Should do some. Uh, great stuff on the table. Uh, that's basically it. Painting, and I'm thinking that I'm trying to sort out running um, uh, Geist at some point soon. I think that's uh, what I'm going to get my gaming group together for. Because I still haven't got one yet. It's really annoying.
0: Mm.
3: And, uh,
0: Chick, what's been up?
4: Um, well, I am finally back in town, and uh, we have resumed our Through the Breach campaign. Ah. And I'm super happy to be gaming again. Right on, oh, right no. on. I on the hobby side I've put together some more Malifaux minis because I just love that game. They have gorgeous minis.
3: You have to put some yeah. pictures up on the uh, on the blog.
4: Yeah, yeah. As soon as I paint
3: one, <laughs> I'll put yeah, a picture. Well. I hate painting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And, of course, my uh, Shadowrun game has further taken a turn for the worst as the uh, runners showed up in a police station and proceeded to murder everyone. So that's just uh, going from going from bad to worse, of course, and we'll have to see what happens to him in the future. It's probably not going to be good.
2: Don't mess with Lone Star.
0: Uh, it's Knight's Errant, so it's oh, even worse. worse. Oh, worse! Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. All right, and uh, Jason and Jason, uh, I think you guys have a LARP event later today, don't you?
1: Yeah, we do. We're uh, running the inaugural game of uh, Seattle's uh, hidden parlor, Vampire the Masquerade Chronicle, tonight.
0: Nice, wow. nice. Any uh, cool tidbits you'd like to share about that? Uh, well, uh, we've managed to actually secure a uh,
5: dance studio nightclub. So if we're going to have a uh, cash bar. We're going to have cool
1: lighting. I think it's going to be pretty awesome. I hear, I hear there are hipster vampires, too. <laughs> it's, it's Seattle. We can't help it. It's it's kind of a requirement. Coffee coffee drinking, artisanal cheesy, um, hipster vampires. Pretty sure.
5: It's unlike the, uh, like
1: the contract uh, or something.
5: We've uh, over-prepared as normal. I think we have, like, 80 pages worth of plot to throw at people and stuff like that. Oh, so we're excited. At least.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's a bit different than uh, when I run, say, Ravenloft or or World of Darkness, where I just kind of write up, like, maybe one page of notes and just say, ah, let's see what happens here. Uh, Speak for yourself,
3: Mike. Speak for yourself, Mike. I make too much setting material for my own games. (laughs) Aw, Chris is a storyteller after our own hearts.
2: Speaking of Ravenloft, I succeeded in bribing our local D&D storyteller to run the new Curse of Strahd module just for me. If, oh. I, if I would agree to host the games and allow her to decorate for the games oh, at my gosh. the wow. house I'm the house I'm moving into, so starting so, in April we'll be playing Curse of Strata, and I am very very excited.
1: So it sounds like it's kind of a LARP top environment. A mm. little
2: bit, a little bit. You got to you got to have Ravenloft mood for that.
1: So. Oh yeah, you got to you got to do LARP top a little bit of LARP, a little bit of tabletop together. That's kind of how Vampire the Masquerade was originally conceived.
2: Ravenloft mm. was my gateway drug into the world of darkness, so yeah.
1: When when I worked at Wizards nice. of the Coast, I um was writing uh, Dungeons & Dragons 3rd edition books, and I was salivating at the opportunity to uh, write some Ravenloft, but it never did happen unfortunately. Mm.
0: Oh, bummer. Yeah, Loopy, I've picked up Curse of Strap myself and flipped through it, and I've got to say, you are in for a treat. It's Hi. got all the goodness no of... Spoilers, uh... No spoilers!
5: <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm currently running through it myself. Um, we uh, decided to take a break uh, uh, from our normal campaign and uh, run through it, and uh, we've had one game, and it's, it's interesting. They're, they're doing a good job, Definitely. Yeah, I I'm
2: can't very, wait! But... I can't wait. Ravenloft <laughs> is my first love. It has been so hard to not just run out and buy the book, but I know if I buy the book, I will read the book.
1: Yeah, you're to And I just,
2: I just, just want to play. But other than that, um, tonight I am also going after this podcast to um, play in our local troop game, which is Independent Alliance setting vampire game. So that's what else I'll be doing tonight.
5: And they're an amazing group. They have a, uh, they have everything. Uh, they they play at the back of the store and it's uh it's, and it's very impressive. Yeah, it's a great
0: group. Cool. All right, I think that's good enough for uh, some great introductions here and let's move on over to a little bit of White Wolf news. All right, so a lot's been going on with uh, White Wolf, and they've made some new announcements, including a new—I want to say global, but uh, a regional LARP event over in Europe called Berlin by Night, which is going to be taking place in 2017. It's going to be a large event, and they uh, mentioned that it's going to give players the ability to influence the world of darkness itself. So, should be a really good time. Since we have two people from By Night Studios here, or three people, I should say, uh, what do you guys think about this event? And uh, are you pretty pumped for it? Are you going to be able to make it out there to Germany?
1: Uh, I think it's terrific. I think um, one of the cornerstones of uh, White Wolf's approach to the World of Darkness is that immersive entertainment uh, is going to be very, very important to building the, uh, the community. Uh, building the brand and building excitement. So I think you're going to see many different types of immersive and interactive entertainment uh, products and events uh, globally around the world, and Berlin by Night is uh, is one of them. Uh, I'm excited for it, and I, I plan to be there. They just ran one of their very first uh, immersive entertainments uh, in um uh, in Finland this uh, past weekend called Endless Night, and we're going to bring that to our Grand Masquerade event in New Orleans this September. And uh, another one that they're running is Convention of Thorns in Poland this October over Halloween weekend.
3: Yeah, the, the Convention of Thorns looks really good because that's a historical uh, right? setting, obviously. And who doesn't want to play in an in a,
1: in a authentic medieval Polish castle?
3: I think right? if, if we were, if if myself and my wife were in a bit more <laughs> flush with cash right now, because obviously we moved back from Germany like almost a year ago with other stuff going on, and so that's expensive, but yeah, go, going to the Convention of the Thorns would have been pretty good, because I mean, just thinking about the costuming, it would be spot on for someone to wear a certain dress again, I think. Mm. I look at her saying 1400s. Yeah, fourteen ninety three, Convention of Thorns, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I think I think my wife's wedding dress fits in perfectly with that because it's a uh, it, I... yeah. It, we had a historical star wedding, so it would fit in perfect for that. But the Berlin I... one, because that's you know twenty seventeen. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind aiming to try and get to that one.
1: I'm certainly planning on going. It sounds amazing. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. I think Martin Erickson, who's the new um, the, the new brand architect and the lead storyteller for White Wolf, has been very articulate in talking about how interactive entertainment is going to be important to White Wolf going forward, and we are going to see more of this type of event uh, globally, which we're all pretty excited about.
0: Nice. And uh, some other cool news coming out is, of course, that uh, with Onyx Path Publishing, they finally sent Mage 20th to the uh, shipper. So it's going to be coming to your house soon. So pretty excited about that. Finally going to get the physical copy of the uh, really epic, epic 20th anniversary of that uh, setting.
4: Oh, it's beautiful.
0: Seder did a great job.
4: He did a fantastic
0: job. It's just a thing
4: of beauty. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Cool. And over at By Night Studios, you guys just had a Kickstarter for... uh, Mind's Eye Theater Werewolf, uh, pretty cool. Uh, almost a thousand backers, so it seems like it's uh, pretty epic, and you guys uh, got a lot of support for it. Thank you.
1: We're pretty excited about that too. We're we're really excited, especially about some of the rewards we're bringing to the backers, including the customized uh, Clave uh, Mind's Eye Theater LARP props and the um, the tribe pins, which haven't been done before.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, Mind's Eye Theater Werewolf a little bit uh, f- later on the show. Bring it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also, uh, we've had some cool stuff going on in the uh, the podosphere with regard to World of Darkness. Uh, great things happening with uh, the new Shadow Sworn Radio Hour. And also, Midnight Express just released an episode about Dark Alliance Vancouver, which I'm very excited to listen to, because uh, I'm probably going to have to research that book for a future show uh, coming you up pretty soon. Mic? Uh, I'm a couple episodes behind on, <laughs> on Midnight Express, unfortunately.
3: Shadow Swans episode, I think most recent one, covered... They just did an overview of Chronicles of Darkness, and they looked at all the classic blue books, so things like uh, Book of Spirits and Ghost Stories and things like that. And I was very happy to hear they their favorite out of Ghost Stories is The Terrible Tale of James Magnus, which is a brilliant ghost story to run.
0: Absolutely nice, nice. And uh, hey, uh, By Night Studios folks, you might want to check out Midnight Express sometime, because Adrian Stagg over there is quite the LARPer and has a lot of experience with the uh, Camarilla down there in Australia. Ooh. So
2: definitely ooh, ooh, ooh. some cool stuff there. I have a good friend who's also very uh, involved in LARPing in Australia, too. So that does sound interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's it for news, unless I missed anything. So let's move on to our main segment, an interview with By Night Studios. Dun-ta-da-da.
1: That was that was one of those in, um, incidental sound effects,
0: by the way. Oh, no, we're leaving that one. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Happy to help. We're here to help. So I guess I'll field the uh, the first question here. Um, so we have a lot of listeners that are very focused on the more tabletop aspects of the world of darkness. Yeah. So how does By Night Studios, Mind's Eye Theater, LARP actually work?
1: Well, I think the important thing to remember first, uh, before we get into the actual working, which I think... Um, Jason, the Younger, and Loopy will probably be uh, best to address is that live-action role-playing was conceived as part of the World of Darkness almost from the very beginning, really from the very beginning. Um, Vampire the Masquerade, first edition, addresses the topic in its pages, and uh, it's been part of the World of Darkness um, ever since it hit the shelves. Uh, And that's because live-action expressions of the game are very immediate and very powerful, and they can complement tabletop. There was a time when I think that uh, LARP and tabletop kind of merged together, and kind of LARP-top that Loopy was talking about earlier. And that's still pretty common around a lot of tables to see players stand up, act out scenes, wear a piece of costume or jewelry, or in some ways help immerse themselves into character, because it's those immersive stories that we all love, whether you're a tabletopper or a LARPer or a video gamer, uh, that we all love about the world of darkness. Uh, and that history um, of live action runs v- deep and uh, far back to the very roots of the game to Mark Hagen's original vision but today how does it work? Uh, I think my colleague should answer that
2: yeah I mean at its very at its very basic um, the real difference is that you are going to walk around and embody your character and that most of the focus on the game is going to be driven from players interacting with one another as opposed to having the storyteller really crafting a significant amount of the plot and the story. The players um, have the onus for coming up with a lot of the motivations of their characters, their own goals, and then um, having conflicts or alliances with other players to either succeed in those goals or prevent other players from achieving their goals. Um, storytellers will introduce plot to give you a framework um, for those goals, but for the most part the storyteller ratio to player ratio is very low. And the focus is really on your story and kind of the immersion of your story in the environment. And so very often there's also a lot of focus on what you can do to make that immersion better. So there will be set dressing, there will be costuming, um, and very often you'll see that players will try to minimize the mechanics of the game so that they can have a continuance of the role play as much as possible so For example, um, while some players will carry their game books with them, most players prefer not to. They'll either leave the game books at the storyteller table, or they'll they'll just access their PDFs on their phones as discreetly as possible. Uh, And the mechanics of our game is played very simply with rock, paper, scissors, so that nobody has to carry dice with them or cards with them, for example, so that you can resolve... Um, mechanics challenges as simply and quickly as possible to get back to that immersive story that everybody's seeking.
5: Um, um, to kind of dovetail to what uh, Loopy was saying, um, the big difference is the narrative perspective. So, for an example, uh, if you're in a tabletop game, you're usually with five people or so, and you're either working with the team or you're working together somehow, and the story follows you. Uh, in a LARP, the is about everyone interacting with everyone else. And the uh, common example I usually give is actually Star Wars. Uh, the very beginning of Star Wars is the classic tabletop game. You have the, the hero, you have a couple of people that are associated with the hero, they start going on a quest, and then they end up in Moss Eisley. And that's a weird place where there's a good couple dozen characters, everyone has their own agenda, is trying to pay off the, the loan shark, there's a bounty hunter, there's cranky guys that don't like to be messed with at the bar. Everyone has their own story, their own agenda, and that is a LARP, where everyone has their own particular story, and you're interacting with everyone's story, and you're building one big, epic story. Um... And you might be the guy that chops off the guy's arm um, with the lightsaber. You might be the bounty hunter that gets it. You might get to be Han Solo. It's, it's, a, it's an exciting uh, adventure, and you don't know what's going to happen. And that's the, uh, the real thrill of LARP. You never know how the game's going to go. You never know how the story's going to go, because there's 20, 40, maybe even 200 people all pushing the plot ball, and it may go in places you never imagined.
0: Sounds pretty great. Cool. Um, so can we talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, just to continue with this basic primer about uh, what Mind's Eye Theater is? How about the, the resolution mechanics? Like how do those work uh, quite simply?
2: Well, we kind of it it, it, for folks who are familiar with uh, World of Darkness tabletop, uh, you'll see the bones of it there. But we've stripped it down and we've simplified it to make resolution uh, fast and easy, and to give you fewer things to track, so that you can do it. For example, without having to carry around a lot of like, you know, blood beads or whatever to help you manage your blood pool or, you know, um, to figure out, you know, how many, uh, you know, how your pools are going up and down or to have to manage a lot of uh, dice for mechanics. So, um, a very simple challenge may go like this. Um, I am trying to use a social power against Jason the Younger. Um, so I say, Jason the Younger, I am going to attempt to use a social power, say, a, a common world of darkness power that everybody um, familiar with the games um, might know, Dreadgaze. Jason, I am going to Dreadgaze you to try to chase you away from this room. How I dare simply you? Say, I know. I simply say, Jason, I am Dreadgazing you. So rude. I know. It's very rude of me. Um, I'm going to chase you from this room, Ger-Arg. I announce that I am doing so, um, and then we will play a game of Rock, Paper, Scissors. Uh, If I win, there is no comparison needed. I simply win. If I lose, there is no comparison needed. I simply lose. If we tie, then we will compare uh, the test pools on our character sheets traits, uh, which in this case would be my social attribute, which is just simply one number, my social attribute, uh, versus my uh, related skill. So my social attribute plus my related skill, that's a fixed number. Um, unless I've spent XP to change those things, it's going to be one number that rarely changes, so it's very easy for me to remember, versus Jason's so- so social attribute plus his current willpower. And that, will, that comparison only ever happens if we tie. So we can resolve that very quickly. We play rock, paper, scissors. You know, And, and uh, he either has to flee the room, or not flee the room, depending on how that goes. And there is a, there is a possibility of making it another attempt at that. Um, but in our version of the system, we have greatly reduced the amount of times where you can make those retests, as they are called, so that resolutions can happen, uh, again, as quickly as possible so that folks can get back to role play.
0: Right on. So, yeah, that's pretty good. That's only like a 10-second uh, mechanic resolution right there, which really doesn't affect anything. Cool.
5: Yeah. Nice, nice. And then one other aspect of the the hardcore game design that kind of informs everything else, um, uh, we have a a merit system that's somewhat different uh, than Tabletop. Uh, In Tabletop, it's more of a, this is a cool quality um, of your character, this is something that your character can do that's interesting, that sort of thing. Um, Our merit system is designed um, to um, feed into what we call the economy of cool. The idea being that uh, um, in a tabletop game, a storyteller can look at his five players and say, all right, you can have these thaumaturgy paths, you can not have this, you can have this, you can have that. Um, And the storyteller can really give... um, a solid uh, amount of uh, attention to each one of his players. But if you have 40 players or you have 50 players, um, that can be uh, very stressful and that can really strange storytellers. So what we have is we have a system where merits um, limit the weird things that your characters can maybe have or the unusual parts of the world of darkness. Um, so in a way that everyone can have some element of cool, but they can't have all the elements of cool. So, like if I'm a Ventru, I may want to have a Path of Thaumaturgy. That'll cost me a certain amount of my limited merit points, versus, say, if uh, I'm a Bruja and I want to have um, Burning Wrath, that'll be a limited amount of my, my merit points. Um, and what you have is um, uh, you have a game that spreads out the cool to a point to where everyone needs each other and everyone gets to be unique. It changes the dynamic in a way that uh, you never know what what someone might have, you never know um, how things are going to work out, but you know that uh, everything's measured and it's fair, because if someone has something, you know that they paid for it. You know that they they spent a certain amount of their cool points on that. So um, if someone's playing a gargoyle, you don't think, oh my god, that guy's playing this broken character. You think, wow, that guy really wanted to play a gargoyle, so he spent a lot of his points on it. And it really, uh, I think it really makes the game interesting and, and fun, because everyone gets to be unique and dynamic. But no one gets to be overpowering.
2: And there's one other thing i just like to mention just because it gets brought up a lot when I am speaking to new players about um, just the very, very basics of LARP. Um, our rules are also designed with the comfort and safety of all the players in mind. Um, there are guidelines for player comfort and player safety, um, as, such as you know we encourage no one to ever um, physically act out stunts. We don't encourage players to touch, um, even though our games deal with themes of blood, um, and sometimes some very dark themes. We have storytelling techniques for um, talking about those things in a way that is still very comfortable for players to act out in a, in a live action role play environment without ever you know making it really, truly feel like uncomfortable. We've got lots of, of ways for players to enjoy the game without ever feel feeling discomforted by the game or for a stranger to walk past and look at it and go, wow, what's all that weird stuff going on?
5: Um, another aspect of uh, the rules, um, the rules are designed that uh, player and players can mediate through them without tests sometimes, um, unless it's important. Um, in a tabletop game, Uh, sometimes the storyteller will just throw out challenges or they'll throw out dice rolls because um, they want to make it interesting. Like, oh, we're going to check for traps. We're going to do X. In a LARP environment, when you have 30 people, 40 people, um, if I want to use a power, I don't necessarily always want to do a test for it. We try to make it simple. We try to uh, streamline it to the point to where the game can flow fairly easily.
2: Yeah, like in the example I just gave, I could have said, Jason, I want to dread-gaze you. And Jason sa- could, sa- could have said, oh, that would be really interesting right now. Okay, you dread-gaze me, no challenge would happen, and he would just act out the effect.
0: Cool, yeah. Uh, actually, I was flipping through uh, a copy of Mindset Theater, Vampire, uh, just before this. And it seems like, uh, with regard to the, the merits that you were talking about, Jason, they're really good at uh, kind of mechanically and uh, numerically standard things out as opposed to when you look at merits and flaws in like uh revised vampire there's a lot of ways to kind of break the system and, and game it far too easily you know taking something like dark secret as a uh, flaw which gives you five extra points sure. for pretty much nothing which which might come up in your game right. maybe if the uh, storyteller is paying attention i really appreciate that uh overall and that's something i want to see uh in in future editions of, of vampire and tabletop uh is kind of going in that similar direction. I definitely appreciate that.
1: Well, Mike, you might be surprised to know that some of our um, some of Mind's Eye Theater players actually have adapted Mind's Eye Theater, our version of it, to tabletop and are using it as uh, their tabletop engine in exactly the way
0: that you're describing. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like a really uh, cool and very fast-paced way to just kind of uh, continue the game. So that's good. I like that. Cool. Um, so for for new players to LARP, it might seem a little intimidating due to like the the mountains of setting information. We've already established that the mechanics are very simple, but there's a lot going on in the world of Darkness, and it's been around for over or uh, approximately twenty five years. So, what do you think are some good recommendations for new players, and uh, how also could established LARP troops uh, be very accommodating to new players that they encounter?
2: Well, it's funny that you ask this because this came up in our troop game just a couple of weeks ago. Um, And so I had a very recent experience mentoring a new player who had come in and had no experience with any kind of LARPing whatsoever and had almost no knowledge of the World of Darkness. So this is very fresh on my mind. Um, And I gave her a piece of advice that I have given to many new players over the years. Um, And that is very simply that when you walk into a LARP, most players are used to, um, particularly we come from a background of network play where you may have you know, a game in your town and a game in the next town over and people may show up to one or another. So you may be used to seeing new faces from time to time, but you have an expectation that those new faces are players who know what they're doing. Um, but as a new player, when you walk in... The experience folks, their goal is to keep the role play flowing as steadily as possible and keep the immersion going. They're going to keep, uh, keep adhering to that goal, and they're going to try to not break character uh, unless you identify yourself as a new player, and you would be shocked at how many times all you simply have to do is just say, hi, I'm a new player, I didn't understand that, can you explain that to me? Um, I have never experienced a situation where a new player has said that and everyone hasn't simply just dropped the, you know, slowed the scene down, explained everything that was going on, been very, very, very accommodating, but you just simply need to explain to that new player coming in going, okay, these people are going to assume that you want to keep role playing with them unless you stop them and ask a question. All you have to do is be comfortable stopping them and asking the question. Additionally, we, I have been part of network troops that have established mentor systems, uh, where you have people who have mentored new players over and over again, who are um, familiar with the questions that they ask. Um, in particular, I was part of a group called uh, the One World by Night Girls, who was uh, specifically... Um, Seeking to make the game more comfortable for female players, so they would set new female players up with an established female player uh, who could walk them through the game and the mechanics, and uh, teach them um, not just the game, but also culture of a particular network. Um, so established tours, get the players comfortable asking questions. Everything else no place after that.
0: Chris, Chig, you guys have any uh, other follow-up questions on the general kind of uh, LARP, LARP basics?
3: I'm actually, I think I'm actively um, a, a local game, but I think because I'm, to be honest, I'm more into Chronicles of Darkness and more into the Vampire the Requiem setting. So I think there's the Isles of Darkness um, yeah, Society that uh, exists yeah. in the UK. Um, I think what's, locally, what's there, local to you, Chris? Uh, well, local to me is Sheffield in the UK, and there's no... Oh, my no God. The there
1: north? There. Midlands? Oh, my goodness.
3: North of the Midlands. It's not even Midlands. It's it's the Ooh, north. Yeah, it's but yeah, the right the right nearest here. games that take part, place, I think, are in Manchester, and I think there's maybe stuff that goes on in York, which yeah, obviously, you, is pretty good. Yeah.
1: There are games in New York. You should be able to find a game between between Manchester and New York, I would think.
3: Yeah. It's um, so I'm looking around, um, but we'll get. To... I think
1: we have some people
5: in your area.
3: Definitely. We do. Um, we have a we have a game finder
1: on our website bynightstudios.com, okay. where you can go look for games local to you around the world globally. Check that out, and I think you you find. Um, I think you might find some troops uh, playing in your area actually. Right.
3: Okay. Um, well, I think yeah. I think I think you you guys have covered like. Intro, the you know new to larping, and I think I think that's the main thing is because there are so many preconceptions about larping and that you get for, in general with larp culture uh, through various media that the fact that there are established that within within the you know mind's eye theatre and within vampire larp and world of darkness larp there's there's a good kind of culture of how you go about introducing new players into the game which, I guess, hearing that would hopefully make people more happy to...
2: I think every single one of the established networks has a mentor system. I'm pretty sure that they do. I know um, that the two I'm a part of have, have, have mentor systems.
1: I'm, I'm pretty sure that they do have those programs. I, LARP can be, from the outside looking in, LARP can look um, a little intimidating. Uh, and I, So I can certainly understand the question about how new players get involved and get integrated. Uh, overcoming that initial that initial hurdle of um, participation, of of reaching out, can be a little difficult. But um, once they do that, I think they're going to find a lot of uh, warm welcomes and really sincere accommodation to the new player.
3: Mm.
1: Kind of like golf. Yeah.
3: It, well, or, fo- you can the same- or
1: football, right? It can be the same with anything. I mean, but uh, not with cricket. No, that's just impossible to get into. <laughs> I
2: mean, I, mean
1: I, I walked into a test match saying, "Hey, I'm I'm totally new to this. Well, what do I do?" And I, I just got laughed off the pitch. It was not good.
3: The same thing happens with for me. You know, right now with wargaming, like the the War Machine hordes tournament community. It's such a a tightly designed game and the environment. It can be kind of off putting and uh, to want to participate in tournaments but actually it's meant to be quite a good uh, environment my problem is I've been involved in running tournaments back ages ago when I was working for games workshop and it's just you know you, you kind of have to just grin and bear dealing with certain players that participate in these things and um, it's just knowing that that isn't the norm and you sometimes it's it's just you know don't get put off even if your first experience is maybe not the best as well. Maybe, you know, you just need oh, to... Oh, abso- absolutely. I
1: think um, And I think it's fair to say that LARP is um, a broad-spectrum hobby. Mind's Eye Theatre LARP, of course, is at, at one point on the spectrum, and it, at differing ends you have huge, multi-thousand-person participatory events that occur in Europe and North America and Latin America and Australia at uh, various points of the year that involve uh, just enormous numbers of people, and then you have very tiny um, private um, uh, independent uh, events that occur in, in people's homes or in uh, in rented spaces. and all along that spectrum, there are a variety of options for participation at different levels of engagement, and I think part of the challenge is finding the finding the experience that's right for you. You may not find that each and every experience on that spectrum uh, is right for you, any more than you would find that any each and every football club is right for you.
3: Okay, so you know, costuming is a big part of LARP culture. We just said you know, LARP is a very diverse uh, and and broad hobby with uh, different events that take place. So with with what you've seen over the years with uh, with Vampire the Mas- well, Vampire the Masquerade LARP and and its associated game lines and those LARP games how have you seen costume evolve and how have that how's that drawn from uh, how I guess subcultures have evolved over the last 25 odd years um, you know things have come in and out of fashion so how has that kind of influenced costuming and uh, you know is is gothic punk dead or or are we or are we just seeing a new or are we seeing a new evolution of what that means when it influences vampire because I think you know, goth is a or the gothic. What is gothic changes a lot over time. Uh, oh, I,
1: absolutely. I, I think uh, I think it's very transformative. What is goth? And what is gothic is not a static state at all. Yeah. Um, and when you say that is is gothic punk dead? I think you're referring to an interview that um, Martin yeah. Erickson gave recently. Martin, of course, uh, for your listeners, is the brand architect and uh, lead storyteller for White Wolf uh, Publishing, which is, of course, our licensor. For mind's eye theater and uh, I think it's a it's a complicated and nuanced discussion that has um, that has a lot of very interesting side permutations but in general I think it depends on where you take your inspiration from when Mind's eye theater first debuted a long time ago I mean they called me the elder for a reason right uh, we took our inspirations from vampire media that was extant at the time and that yeah. was linked to Bram Stoker's novelization of Dracula and uh, Anne Rice's novels and um, other other expressions of the vampire in media, and that informed how we saw the vampire through va- the lens of Vampire the Masquerade. Today, vampire media is um, ubiquitous. It is everywhere. It is very popular and has many different expressions, and players in the world of darkness bring those expressions and those uh, preferred... Um, visions of vampire to their gaming experience. So today's players are as likely to be influenced by Blade or Underworld or Only Lovers Left Alive or Let the Right One In or Buffy or The Hunger as they are by Dracula or Anne Rice. And all those different influences are reflected in how players dress at Mind's Eye Theater games.
3: So it's, as you say, I mean, this this, I think gets the, the kind of the crux of the point, which is that it's it's stuff that players bring to it. It's not something that is in the the stylistic element you see in costume. It's not something that's ingrained within the games. It's something that the players bring oh, to that.
2: Definitely, and I think definitely. also I think some of the tools that you see, like just cosplay itself as a hobby, has also gotten very ubiquitous, and so there are more tools available to. Mm players generally to step up their costuming to bring the visions of their characters to life. Um, One of the characters I'm currently playing is heavily tattooed, and I was able to find, like, print your own at home tattoo paper, and I hired a tattoo artist, a real one, to design this really elaborate snake tattoo that goes all the way across one shoulder and down one arm. I just put this at home on printer tattoo paper, and I, I have somebody help me stick it on before I go to game, um, but that's not something I could have done a- Easily, uh, even just a few years ago. But because these sort of costuming tools are now ubiquitous, and you can go on online forums, you can get custom mm-hmm. contact lenses. You there can are. find seamstresses who do custom stuff for you. It's a lot easier to take your own particular vision for your specific character and mm-hmm. and crank it up to eleven.
1: I think um, one of the one of the changes that we're seeing now in the in the visuals like guys of uh, a vampire. Um, was reflected in Martin's recent um, presentation at uh, Game Developers Conference GDC in San Francisco this week where he presented a uh, basically a, a brand manifesto uh, for vampire. One of his comments was that vampires being apex predators need to camouflage. So yeah, vampires, okay. when hunting, uh, might adopt very ordinary styles and appearances. They might appear as, as, as you or I or, or Loopy Uh, while they are hunting their prey and engaging with humanity, but when they feel safe, or relatively safe, being the vampires are, in fact, apex predators, how safe can they ever feel? When they are in Elysium, or uh, when they are gathered among their own clan or their own broods, they might adopt uh, styles that feel more natural to them, either connecting them to their uh, historical uh, antecedents uh, or to um, their inner nature. So I think that um, that will also inform Mind's Eye Theory of Vampire LARPs uh, going forward. Yeah. So you'll see a variety of styles. The hunting vampire that blends into ordinary mortal society, and the quartz or elysium or private gathering vampire that is more free to express their, uh, their inner nature with a more um, visceral or um, uh, visually arresting appearance. Mm-hmm.
5: Um. And one of the cool things that I'm noticing is that uh, different clubs and different organizations will start to have their own uh, fashion trends. Oh, for sure. uh, And that uh, that really reflects um, part of their culture. So, like in the uh, Mind's Eye Society, I've noticed that red is very popular. And there's a lot of experimentations with, with how to use Red and their costuming and that sort of thing. And then versus uh, Underground Theater, um, they have a plot running with the Melchivian Justicar. You have La Llorona, and a lot of their women are wearing white dresses, um, like, um, and, and they're experimenting with uh, makeup to do stigmata and that sort of thing. We had a couple of great costumers at Blood and Betrayal 2 who portrayed the gargoyles, and that was amazing. Um, so... So, you'll see a lot of different influences and styles that the players will bring, and they'll influence each other
1: and uh, bring a lot of cool fashion stuff. Yeah, tonight I'm playing a a hipster vampire NPC at our uh, Hidden Parlor Seattle LARP, and um, you can just imagine what that's going to be like.
2: I want pictures. Uh, <laughs> no I'm, guarantees.
5: <laughs> I'm disappointed that Jason the Elder didn't buy Chucks as requested.
1: There will be no, be no Chucks. I'm sorry. Uh, the the hipster beanie and Henley and fake eyeglasses is as far as I go.
3: I thought with the um the costume on the costuming and stylistically, um the end of line event that they held in Finland, I think really showed uh, what Martin means about trying to tap into what. Is the current modern subcultures because it did just look like exactly. a modern rave, yeah. with 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 just certain, with a few things that kind of picked it out as being maybe there's a few anachronisms with the mm-hmm. characters that are there, uh, and I think for me personally, like when I think about what the world of darkness is and how that would influences at least at the tabletop how I try and portray it, it's the difference between. Um, being human the UK tv series and being human the US remake one is one is a kind of a squeaky cleat well not I wouldn't say it's a bit too it's a bit too it's a bit too uh, glossy in its presentation and the other one is look the main character who's a vampire is working at the local chippy and what's he wear when he goes out he's just wearing right. like you know fingerless gloves and a and it's not even a leather jacket it's just sure. it's just a, a ratty old jacket and When you see the vampires gathered together, there's so much more diversity rather than just all being anachronistic or all being mm -hmm. in leather or something. And I think that kind of tapping into that variety and also what is currently modern subcultures going forward will make it a lot more more make it quite visually interesting,
1: visually interesting, and I think very very accessible to new generation players. I think that there, it is much much easier to um, ac- access uh, *Vampire the Masquerade* if you think about it as vampires that live among us yeah. and are protected by a carefully policed masquerade, rather than vampires who have altered the world to shape it to their personal preferences. Cool. Well, we thought so. <laughs>
0: Nice. All right. Cool. So, why don't we move this discussion over to because we've been talking about vampire a lot, uh, kind of focusing in on the Mindsight Theater Vampire uh, products that you guys have been putting out, because really, you know, we haven't talked about it too much here on the show, but Mindsight Theater Vampire kind of kind of shocked the world of uh, World of Darkness fandom uh, in that. As opposed to V twenty, which sort of held the meta plot back and kind of distilled the, a lot of the essence of what Vampire the Masquerade was, you guys at By Night Studios decided to take the storyline forward, uh, kind of continue the meta plot in your own way. Now, of course, uh, all the Year of the Reckoning events occurred, uh, but Gehenna kind of. Didn't. not really. Um, you know, two thousand four was maybe just kind of like a bad hair day for vampires in, in some ways.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there were really good reasons why we did that because, of course, LARP and tabletop are a different expression of the of the same uh, of the same thing, of the same uh, intellectual property. Uh, to put it in, in, in its most basic terms, there are very different ways to look at the same thing that we all love.
5: Another way to look at it when you're building a LARP. It helps if all the players know that, uh, okay, this is the sandbox I'm playing in. Here's the areas in which I should go explore. Here's the places I should uh, try to take my character, that sort of thing. And so it was really important for us to kind of give players and storytellers the tools to build their own cool stories. Um, and so, um, like you mentioned, um, we made sure that everything that happened before still happened, still counted for people. That was very important to us. Um, we streamlined a couple of dates in order to uh, make sure that people didn't argue over, oh, but that happened in 1911. No, that happened in 1912, because sometimes uh, things, you know, um, when you have like a hundred different flatbooks, sometimes dates drift a little bit. Um, but uh, we made sure that all the way up to 2004, things remained relatively static and, and streamlined. And then what we did is we said, what would make the best sort of LARP game? What would make the best sort of experience for players? What are the best building blocks for um for Chronicles to move their way forward, and then we looked at all the different media. Uh, we took inspiration from uh, the card game. We took uh, uh, inspiration from Bloodlines, um, um, and in fact, if you uh, if you pay close attention, you'll uh, you'll discover why you had it didn't happen in our storyline, um, and it has to do with Bloodlines and a certain
1: sarcophagus. Has to um, do with yeah. the Bloodlines and that wretched Prince LeQuoi. I don't know.
5: Mm, how dare he! And, and what, we, what we tried to do is um, uh, give players and storytellers tools to look at Vampire in a new way. Uh, we created a new proto-sect, the Independent Alliance. We shifted things around. Um, and the point of it was to allow people to look at Vampire in a different way and maybe play things a little bit fresher. And it seems to have worked so far.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, this is kind of leading into the the next question, but one of the cool storylines that you guys had was, I believe at your last uh, Blood and Betrayal, right. there was a, a huge event uh, or, or plot going on where the, I think it was the followers of Set, and the Giovanni <laughs> were starting to uh, make their own kind of political block in a lot of ways. Oh, uh,
1: Loopy, I blame you for this.
2: Uh, you can totally blame me, me and my 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 dirty setites. Um, yeah, you're
1: uh, absolutely you're absolutely right. The Independent Alliance, which starts as the Giovanni and the Settites in our in our continuity, um, were the hosts of Blood and the Trail Two at Las Vegas, and we wanted to allow our players the opportunity to um, directly, significantly, and immediately affect our continuity. Whatever happened at that game. Would become canon, and the
5: players took that responsibility very, very seriously. Oh, They were so um, awesome. Um, towards the end, they were shaking because they didn't want to. They didn't want to screw things up for everyone else in the future. They
1: were, they were very, they were very into the moment. Um, no, they were very yeah. respectful, but um, they really ran with it. It was an unexpected event. We. We really thought when we set this scenario up, uh, what we did was we said that the Independent Alliance would admit one clan and one clan only among three candidates the La Sombra, the Carpathians, uh, or the um, True Bruja. And we really thought that at the end of the evening, one of those clans would be admitted to the Independent Alliance, and that did not happen. No clan was admitted. They all stayed out. It was it was a really uh, emotional, powerful moment for all the players. The players were so invested
5: in their choice winning that they didn't want anyone else to succeed, and so they the the characters uh, got deadlocked, and it was an amazing scene.
0: That sounds very powerful. and I don't know how to follow it up. <laughs> um. uh,
2: the independent alliance did decide to declare itself a sect
1: at the end of that excellent.
2: event. Yeah, we blame and Luke the saidites in the giovanni are definitely full of piss and vinegar right now thinking very highly of themselves and their position of the wor- in the world and uh, i think we're going to we're going to see what the rest of the world thinks about that uh, <laughs> in the future
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe in new orleans
5: in september say
2: yeah,
5: yeah. and incidentally we have a uh, a written uh, epilogue for the game that's up on our uh, blog um if you're interested in some of the back details of that before uh, Blend Betrayal 2 comes out.
0: Nice. It's always been funny to me that these two clans kind of got together since, for, for people that aren't as familiar with Vampire the Masquerade, uh, one of the key plots of the of the Giovanni is that they want to bring these, uh, basically combine the spirit of the dead world with the living. Sure. And the Sedites also want to just resurrect their dead god. So right. it's, just a little, it's just kind of goofy that they're both uh, teamed up, but they have these similar but also very different uh, overarching plots to their, to their politics. I guess that
1: depends on whether or not you believe in the concept of the unreliable narrator, mm. which is a, a, an underlying foundation of, uh, of the world of darkness uh, from day one, and whether or not you believe anybody knows these things outside those clans.
0: Oh, certainly not, but I, as a real person, read way too many clan books, so... (laughs) Uh,
5: It also kind of depends on um, how trustworthy you think they are for each other, and uh, if they're uh, true
1: allies, or if they're allies of convenience for the moment. Yeah, because there have never been any uh, political coalitions in which the uh, two parties involved were completely trustworthy.
0: That's true. (laughs) Never, ever nice nice and uh of course uh you've had a couple of these blood and betrayal events the uh, first one was very focused on the uh the camarilla the second one had a lot about that uh, independent alliance that we mentioned and some great stuff for the anarch players as well so uh should we expect that uh blood betrayal 3 will be more sabbat centric
1: good question
0: i i
5: don't know that we're quite ready to uh to reveal what the plot's going to be but uh uh, Jason, do you wanna do you wanna share the title of Blood and Betrayal Three?
1: Yeah, we can uh, I think that we can offer a uh, Darker Days uh, an exclusive here. Uh, we we are entitling the Blood and Betrayal Three experience Cirque Noir, the Dark Circus. Ooh. It's set in New Orleans, and New Orleans has a very particular history in Vampire the Masquerade, and that's probably all the hints that we should be giving at this time. Nice. Seems reasonable.
0: Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. So, kind of shifting gears a little bit. Uh, one really cool product that I just stumbled across on uh, your your drive through RPG page was this interesting historic Vampire the Masquerade sourcebook uh, called Pickering Leith, uh, which oh, is yeah. set in the Edwardian era of England. Yeah. Why'd you guys choose this uh, setting? Like, what kind of led <laughs> you to this? This and is
1: actually younger should answer this. <laughs> uh...
0: This is actually a really funny
5: story that embarrasses Jason the Elder. So not actually uh, that funny, actually. Oh, <laughs> it, oh, it is! I assure you, it's really not. So before um, before we got the license uh, for Minds Eye Theater, okay. um, I have a I have a history tradition uh, for my very good friends offering to uh, run them a birthday alert. And uh, so I I asked Jason Carl, uh, "What did you want?" And he is a fanatical fan of a certain TV show called Downton Abbey. Um, and what he wanted was vampires in in an uh, earlier age. Um, and we talked about that, and so I came up with the plot, I came up with all the different stories, um, and uh, then we got Minds Eye Theater license, and I couldn't run that LARP. But I had all the notes, and I had everything written.
1: I see that here.
5: Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we put that on as a uh, Kickstarter reward. Um, and so um, it seemed to have worked out. It's uh, It's got a, a small but devoted following. Um, I've heard of a couple people running it um, and very much enjoying it.
1: Uh, one of the things we wanted to do with Pickering was uh, show Vampire the Masquerade uh, through the Mind's Eye Theater lens but also through a historical lens that hadn't been seen before. All of us uh, at Night Studios are huge fans of all the World of Darkness historical settings. Um, My personal favorites, it's really tough for me to choose between uh, Dark Ages and um, Victorian Age Vampire. And so uh, Pickering is kind of a love letter to those historical settings that the, uh, the progenitors of the World of Darkness have created before us.
3: Have you guys um? Have you guys also uh, watched um, Peaky Blinders? So oh, it's one yeah, of my Peaky Blinders is great. Shows. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So oh, again, yeah. that's certainly, I can imagine a bunch of anarchs, you know, with their right? caps. Right. Going around with uh, yeah. straight razors, perfect. Mm, all, only with the Nick Cave music playing in the background continuously, though. <laughs> I would, you know, I'd be interested in how difficult it would be to hire out. It must be really difficult. But there's a um, so in in that in in Birmingham in the Midlands there are a few um, working museums. So they're literally uh, Victorian Edwardian towns with. A forge and everything else—it's like a Ooh, living are they, museum. Um, are they part of the National Trust? Um, oh, I can't remember exactly. Uh, we went. our they are my school, my high school? Um, every for when you're like when you first get into high school, the the lowest year you, you go on a trip there and you you know you get dressed up and so you actually have a you're basically there so that other vi- visitors can see what a a Victorian um, school would be like. So. You get Victorian-style <laughs> lesson and uh, obviously corporal punishment. So uh, <laughs> it's a really good place. So um, I guess you've also watched. Um, there's a BBC series where they do the different farm periods. There's Victorian farm and uh, I've seen it. I think, it's, I think yeah. it's wonderful. So the one they do, which is Victorian, um, uh, camp, uh, Victorian pharmacist. So that is the uh, working museum that I'm talking about. So it's uh, it's a really great place. So what I'm hearing is, LARP, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess Chris is running a LARP there. Okay. Uh, I would awesome. not be the person to ask about running a Victorian LARP. I think my wife mostly knows m- a lot more about Victorian uh, uh, what Victorian lifestyle was like. She's kind of into that kind of thing. Oh, this I is think.
1: even better, Darker Days listeners. You heard it here first. Chris's wife is running a Victorian
3: age. Wait, <laughs> 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 this is a great day. It would be it would be an interesting thing to uh, get a get set oh, up, inv- involved. And also, I mean, I would say there's certain. Um, personally speaking, I think there's certain, uh, mostly certain hotels in Manchester which would be also suitable for for a, Ooh, fiend, uh, yeah. a vampire or or Absolutely. mage or something like that. You're I mean, going to make me person.
2: swoon. You're going to make me swoon with jealousy. <laughs>
0: Uh, we have we have achieved swoonage. This is also a great day. <laughs> cool. Um. So, could you guys offer up maybe like a uh, one realization of vampire in LARP form that really just kind of sold it uh, for you? You know, a, a great experience that uh, you know would really impress the listeners. Um, oh man,
2: I've been doing this for twenty years. Wow!
1: What a great question.
5: Um, Blood and betrayal—the first one at the Queen Mary in that grand ballroom where Bella Lugosi played Dracula on stage. That was pretty awesome.
2: I I have to say, that's not... I mean, some people think that that's just by Night Studio Solidarity, but quite honestly, that's one of the best experiences I've ever had in my whole life, and I didn't even get to play that game. I was storytelling that game, and just watching everybody lined up at the door. They were so eager to play that game... They had brought some of the best costuming I had ever seen. They walked into the door from minute one, ready to show off and do their and milk every minute out of this experience, and they absolutely did. It was like I just, it was enrapturing just to be in that room and watch them. And wow. it was
1: a real. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It was a really humbling experience. I thought because Minds Eye Theater, well, really, By Night Studios, is our love letter to the world of darkness. And it was a really humbling experience to see uh, players so enthused for an experience like that. Um, it really reminded us, reminded us of why we do this uh, every day, because it is a labor of love every day for us. And I think that um, the first Blood and Betrayal game fell somewhere between uh, pure game and pure art. And that kind of moment doesn't happen very often, so it was very important to us. And it was a real melting pot
5: of the community. Um, we, we had people from every organization that I've ever heard of. Uh, we had people from Europe. We had people from Brazil. um, Donne, um played our uh, our Justicar, and she had this elegant oh, had
1: French, she was awesome.
5: This elegant French Revolution outfit with like the wig. Um, Jimmy Reckett, who later became one of our writers
1: and developers um, had Morten this and was there he played uh, he played one of the, uh, the Carpathians mm. and and just like all of the costuming
5: the the event the lighting just just the mood on the ship just being on the ship felt different it felt it felt uh, sensual in a way and um, it was just a, um, a very physical experience that the, the air smelled different
1: it was really um, it was really special. I think um, we've all been doing this for, for quite some time. There are so many uh, special moments, and there's so many, there are so many chronicles uh, that I admire and that I have, have not yet had a chance to play. There are amazing chronicles going on right now in so many different cities around the world. I think sometimes that the World of Darkness fans aren't aware of how global uh, an experience this is. There are uh, astonishingly great chronicles going on right now in... Poland, in Ukraine, in Russia, uh, in um, Japan, in Korea, Brazil has a huge uh, monumental passion for Mind's Eye Theater, uh, World of Darkness, LARP, Um, Mexico has a devoted following, Um, there's a a huge robust fan base in, excuse me, in Canada and Iceland. the list of LARPs that I want to go to for uh, Mind's Eye Theater and for uh, The World of Darkness is longer than the LARPs I've actually played, which is saying something, given that I'm an elder. but, a lot, but yeah. <laughs> hey! Hey! hey. <laughs> wow! Okay, we've reached that portion of the show. Excellent. Here we go.
0: And with that, let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about... Mind's Eye Theater Werewolf just came out, and it's it's a bit of a different beast. You know, you have the same basic mechanics, but uh, the setting of Werewolf is is oh, quite me. different.
1: that was good. I saw what you did there. That
0: was good. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Now, first off, one of the one of the new kind of ideas and, and mechanics that you kind of introduced was looking at uh, factions and bringing that more into play. So, uh, I think it'd be uh, interesting just to kind of discuss uh, how. You envision and how you've playtested uh, werewolf politics and that aspect of the setting, uh, as opposed to the more in your face uh, battle against the worm.
5: It's an interesting that uh, you bring that up. Uh, we're working on uh, right now a lot of the social systems, the dramatic systems, the um, uh, elements behind the politics right now. It's in uh, editing with our Team Gotham. It's uh, like
2: literally it's, on my desk, like on the other screen right um, now. Like,
5: like and, literally right there. Um, and we're hoping to uh, we're hoping to do a delta release where with just those so that uh, um, our uh, our playtest games can run through it. Um, I'm very proud. Um, we have over 30 playtest games right now um, across the world that are actively playing our game and giving us feedback and uh, and really. Um, really rallying people to get behind kind of the new changes and to try them out and see what works and what doesn't. Um, uh, so so some of the answer to your question is we're about to find out to see uh, how well it plays on the field. Um, I think that um, a lot of the um, factional-type stuff that we've introduced uh, have always been in the game. They just haven't been detailed uh, enough that uh, players... Um, Without having the discussion, could innately kind of grasp. Um, um, there are a lot of concepts that haven't been outlined or, really, or really, um, or really um, detailed in print. And so, what, what you'll find is that a lot of different uh, organizations, and a lot of different groups, um, kind of had to insert their own tribal knowledge pun intended, um, to kind of build these structures. And so we're trying to work through them, uh, streamline it, make it easy for new players and veterans to uh, be on the same page and tell awesome stories.
2: Yeah, and it all kind of goes back to that same concept that LARP is not the same game as tabletop, Um, and that in tabletop, you enjoy a lot of personalized attention from the storyteller, but when you transition into a LARP, um, players um, become the driving force of the story. Um, Werewolf, uh, as in the canon material, can often be very storyteller-intensive compared to the other World of Darkness materials, Um, and we were very cognizant about that. We had a lot of discussions about how we make the best live-action game possible Um, for Werewolf the Apocalypse and put a lot of tools in place so that players... can drive their own stories with Werewolf the Apocalypse without um, overtaxing the poor storytellers. If you've ever played in a Werewolf the Apocalypse LARP, you'll know that the storytellers usually run ragged um, as you have different packs running off to, you know, fight this different enemy or attempt a different thing. They break off into almost like little mini tabletop groups. Um, So we're trying to give them reasons to bring the stories back together um, to... to make a better live-action environment for those games.
0: Interesting, yeah. Uh so one of our one of our co-hosts here on the show, Matt, is very into where the Apocalypse, and uh, we've discussed this with him quite a bit. Uh, and he actually brings up an interesting point a lot that there's um a lot more a lot more of the tribal uh, and sept inter politics exist in actually first edition. So it sounds pretty cool, and almost like you're kind of going back to. Uh, some of the original uh, concepts in, in werewolf that uh, may have kind of fallen to the sidelines in some ways and uh, in, in later maybe revised uh, releases. So yeah, it definitely sounds cool.
5: I think that um, the first edition that you get uh, introduced to something becomes the one that you love. Um, and for me, the first edition werewolf um, was the one that made me love werewolf. Um, definitely. That's a lot of inspiration. Um, I'm also a big fan of the uh, Wild West setting.
0: Yeah, nice. As I mentioned, Matt's really into uh, into werewolf, and I know he wants me to ask you guys about this, but one of the uh, new concepts in uh, Mind's Eye Theater werewolf is that uh, in addition to being born from uh, a kinfolk, a werewolf could be actually just a normal human being who's been bitten. No. Um, how did that change come about? Uh, was it to try to keep uh the, the werewolves more in keeping with uh just traditional folklore or uh was there some other motivation to it
2: that's a little inaccurate and i i would H-
0: hence my no in the middle of your question
1: yeah. <laughs> i apologize perception they are not normal humans who are randomly bitten
2: um, we actually have a really good update on our Kickstarter. Um, if so if you'd like to really dive deep into some of the design decisions about the Bitten, um, I would really recommend that you go back into our Kickstarter pages and look. Um, but the Bitten are, are people who are lost cubs or kinfolk uh, who for some reason never expressed into their first change. Um, and the Bite is a way of essentially allowing... Um, in a live action environment, players to have, uh, to go through um, their first change, essentially just as an older concept. So I, you know, Loopy, I just had my 40th birthday, but let's say I'm a new player and I'm walking into a werewolf game for the first time. um, And I would like to go through an experience similar to what a player might do as a ghoul in a vampire lark, like come in as a ghoul, learn a little bit about the game and the culture, then pick my clan get embraced and then take my story from there. Except in Werewolf there isn't a really good equivalent of this unless I want to play a character that's significantly younger than I am as a person in real life. Um, But when you have to physically embody this character in front of a group of 15, 50, 200 people, that can be very uncomfortable to do. So one of our design design decisions was to try to find a way to make new player concepts accessible to a wider range of actual new players. Um, but it is not just normal humans. Um, not anyone can be bitten, and it is not successful um, in every circumstance. So I would definitely encourage you to go look at our design blog on it, because it will walk you through a lot of the details on how that is going to play out in the materials. And uh, hopefully you'll get to get a chance to read it in the Delta release when we when we do put that out as well.
5: So one of the uh, um, um, plots that were in uh, speaking of, of Werewolf First Edition, uh, they had the idea of lost cubs and the idea that uh, uh, there were um, some some potential werewolves that were having trouble making that first change, um, and we've kind of expanded upon that particular story. Uh, mm-hmm especially considering the, uh, the events that happen in modern times, that sort of thing. Um, so it really has a foundation from the very beginning of Werewolf. Um, and and uh, I, I'm hopeful that, the, uh, that when uh, the hardcore see it, they'll remember that first edition love uh, that I have, and they'll remember some of those uh, great stories, um, and they'll get to play that out.
0: So yeah, no, that works definitely uh, very well with the setting and makes perfect sense in a uh, in a LARP environment. So, definitely cool. Now, in addition to that, in Werewolf, uh, we of course have, unlike unlike Vampire, there is these other worlds that you can rather easily travel to. You know, the Umbra and its uh, various realms. So, how do you guys um, work that in a game? And have you ever seen a like really cool uh, set design or anything or? or uh, other realizations of the Umbra in uh, LARPs you've attended?
5: One of the things that we ended up doing um, is that uh, we brought back the Umbral Storms from the Wild West setting. Uh, so we've made it a little bit more challenging to get to, a little bit more difficult. Um, mm. Werewolves have to plan out their Umbral adventures. Um, we have a quest system that kind of helps that. Um, definitely. Um, and I know Lupi wanted to talk about the, uh, the uh, set design stuff.
2: Uh, Mostly, I just think that's a great idea, and I'm going to steal it, probably for Rage and Retribution, too. Um, I've played a lot of Werewolf Larps, and usually when I see the Umbra expressed in that way, they just use it, they usually express it just as a simple division of space. So it's like, okay, the Umbra is this room. Um... And you know uh, the material realm is this room, and we're going to divide you guys up in that way. And maybe they'll do you a little bit with lighting, but I have never seen a really really cool set design for the Umbra. So challenge accepted.
1: Ooh. <laughs> cool. Oh, my budget, my budget. Uh, okay. Uh, I think it sounds. I think it sounds like a terrific idea, and uh, I will support. Uh, I will support Loopy's point of view here. Challenge accepted.
2: We did Um, some cool things in Rage and Retribution 1 where we did a a combat adventure where um, a very large group of werewolves had to fight their way down through a silver mine. Um, And we did some cool things with lighting and use of space and breakout space to really give them a sense of descending down through space into a darker and darker silver mine. I have some ideas I want to steal from that, and your question about set dressing has given me some ideas too about the Umbra, so I think I'm rubbing my hands together and I'm, I'm putting together some ideas that I'm going to submit to the Jasons uh, for, for uh, Rage of Red 2.
5: Um, for, and one of the cool things that um, one of the new systems we've developed is uh, the quest system. Um, so let's say for an example, I'm the storyteller and I have 50 people um, at my game, but you five guys want to go explore a certain number of I can uh, generate a um, collaborative quest for you guys. I can say, okay, you need a third. you need someone with this skill, you need someone with this gift, you need someone with this background. Go. And you guys go play Easter egg style, um, trying to collect all those people, all those things, and then you guys tell a collaborative story, and you guys come back, and we work out the details. Um, And then you have a cool adventure story that you get to share with people. Um, And we're hoping that'll streamline kind of the the hero's journey, personal narrative aspects of it so that players can still do those things while still functioning um, as a LARP and as a community of LARPers.
0: Nice. I like it. So, Jason and Loopy, what was a werewolf LARP experience that really sold you on it? You know, similar to what we asked for Vampire. What was, like, a just a cool time that uh, you think would really impress our listeners?
2: Oh, my goodness. Rage and Retribution 1 was pretty amazing. Like I said, we had all these different breakout spaces, and the, uh, there was a moment. Um, and, in fact, this moment occurred at both iterations of... Rage and Retribution one, because we ran it twice, uh, where we gave the players a choice. They had to choose between two factions of spirits. Um, The spirits absolutely refused to work together, right? So they had to choose either a wild faction or a weaver faction of spirits. And they didn't have much time to make the choice. So they were were on a timer. This was time-sensitive. They had to go off to battle. They had to pick a faction. And oh my goodness, I have never seen the passion... And the rage of Werewolf brought to the fore, like, these players brought it in that moment. And it, it, it was so cool at this event. At, particularly at, at the one in Las Vegas, players divided across the room. And I saw them challenging each other, screaming at each other, physically, like, puffing themselves up and, and getting ready to threaten like one another. I saw, I, I saw a pack break up over this decision because uh, they, they disagreed with their pack alpha's decision over which spirit faction to choose. And it was so very different from vampire in that way um, because of the the passionate nature of the players in that moment. It was, it was very striking to me.
5: If you give people, um, players in particular, if you give them uh, social systems and ways of making choices that reveal their character, they will take the ball and they will absolutely run with it. Um, And that was a really good moment, uh, definitely. Um, For me, um, um, uh, we had a game uh, with Minds Eye Society in a place called Ravenna Park. And uh, it was in a ravine, very uh, heavily wooded area. And uh, what the storyteller, Michael Dyer, did was uh, he split us up into two groups. We had about two groups of like 25 or so. And the first 25 had to run through this gauntlet while everyone else played all the bad um, Black Spiral dancers from Mori, all the other you know um, monsters, and we had to get all the way to the end, and uh, like half of us died, and it was it was, a, it was a pretty brutal scene. And then we were like, "All right, switch characters," and then all of us from the first run got to play the monsters uh, for the for the second run, and it was a really good. Um, really good immersive uh like adrenaline pumping machine of oh my god i just need to get down that hill i need to get down that hill um it was a really good um moment that really made me love
4: Firewolf.
0: moving on uh kind of talking about the uh the future of by night studios in a lot of ways i know jason just had to step off to talk to white wolf but uh maybe you guys can uh, help us out with some of this a little bit so jason the elder does By night Studios have the rights uh, from White Wolf Publishing to pursue Chronicles of Darkness LARP books? That's a great question. Um, I, think,
1: I think your listeners will be uh, very familiar with the Chronicles of Darkness and the recent developments uh, uh, that affected that property when White Wolf acquired the world of darkness. Um, there's a lot to admire in Chronicles of Darkness. I'm a big fan of many elements of Requiem, Vampire the Requiem. Uh, and many of the other uh, properties in Chronicles of Darkness. Our understanding, White Wolf's position, is that Chronicles of Darkness is a tabletop expression of the game uh, or of the intellectual property, and that's its best expression. So if there is ever a Mind's Eye Theater or LARP expression of the Chronicles of Darkness, that would be for White Wolf publishing to decide. Uh, I think that... um, they have a, a, a really difficult um, they have a really difficult set of decisions to make as they uh, create the the uh, brand platform for world of Darkness. And uh, what they decide going forward to for Chronicles of Darkness is probably something that you should probably ask Martin and
0: Tobias. Mm.
4: Did that help at all?
0: Absolutely. yeah. Uh, we'll we'll be sure to uh, ask them in the future. i think I think you should invite them on the show. Yeah. Yeah, sure, definitely.
1: I've, 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 just, I've just come back from a phone conference with Tobias, who's the CEO of, uh, of White Wolf, and he's a super awesome guy. He's at South by Southwest uh, this weekend uh, talking about the world of darkness to uh, a variety of uh, people down there in, uh, in Austin, Texas, USA. Uh, he's a, a great business developer, uh, world of darkness enthusiast, uh, a fan uh, of the properties. And uh, I think that um, uh, if fans have input on what they want to see with the Chronicles of Darkness, that's where they should direct their input.
0: All right, sure thing. And we'll be sure to to put a link in the show notes to uh, contact White Wolf Publishing themselves. Of course, along with... um, a lot of... Uh, We've been talking about a lot of the classic or One World of Darkness books here. Uh, so do you guys have future plans for maybe a little Mage the Ascension, Rape the Oblivion, or uh, Changeling the Dreaming in Mind's Eye Theater?
5: Uh, again, um, we can't really... Um... We can't really uh, say what we want to do for our next project and what's been proposed, that sort of thing. But Um, we do um, like our
2: fans to tell us what they want. Um, In fact, actually, uh, last Kickstarter, um, after we finished uh, the Vampire, the Masquerade Kickstarter, we did a poll, um, Mm -hmm. which heavily drove our decisions. We'd love to hear from our fan community about what they want next. Um, We're very collaborative with our fans in that way. So if your listeners have any opinions tell us.
5: And you can uh, tell us at uh, info at bionightstudios.com. No no decisions have been formally made yet. I mean, there's just a lot of uh, notions and plans. And so if there's really strong support for one particular venue, who knows?
0: Right on, right on. Cool. Um, So one big thing you guys have coming up is, of course, the Grand Masquerade. So, I know, uh, I think you guys just got back from doing a little location scouting and taking some look at, at stuff. Um, would you guys have any, uh, any cool plans that you want to, like, hint to, get some people excited about? Um, you know, the, basically, the floor is yours, just kind of uh, tantalize us.
2: Well, I know we, t- we teased you earlier with the title of the vampire side of things. Um, we might want to talk about the werewolf side of, of things a little bit. Jason, do um, you want to you wanna tell them what we're kicking around for Rage and Retribution 2?
5: Uh, certainly. Um, there's been a lot of interest in um, the um, modern events that led to uh, the new setting for Mind's Eye Theater, Werewolf. Um, and uh, what we're uh, planning on doing is running a scenario that involves the kickoff of the Age of Apocalypse. Um, so all that cool moments that people are like, What happened? What happened? Uh, you'll get to live through it. You'll get to suffer through it, just like uh, the werewolves uh, in the story. So we're very excited about that. And then again, for Blood and Betrayal 3, it's going to be a little bit uh, different of an experience. Um, we're going with the Dark Circus uh, motif. And uh, those of you who are um, who are uh, very invested into the uh, New Orleans setting and have uh, know some of the history there, you'll uh, probably get very excited by that.
2: I mean, every, every Blood and Betrayal game that we have done to date, um, I spend a huge chunk of time just researching the history of the cities we're in. Um, in both cases, I I just cuddled up with a lot of the history of the city, and I try to um, really play off of our locations as inspirations for our plot. Um, Rage and Retribution 1 um, features is, is almost my personal love letter to my hometown of Las Vegas. Uh, it it features a lot of Las Vegas history that doesn't involve the Strip at all. Um, So that's going to be my plan for tackling um, New Orleans as well.
5: And so like for Blood and Betrayal, um, we had a lot of characters that were focused from uh, Las Vegas. Uh, We had Prince Strauss. Um, We had a a number of different uh, um, fun characters that had popped up and do certain video games, for example.
2: When we were in Los Angeles, yeah.
5: Yeah,
2: yeah and we're in Los Angeles. Bloodlines was
5: in Los Angeles. Oh, hey, Jeanette. <laughs> oh, nice, yeah. <laughs> and, for, and for Blood and Betrayal 2, that was where the Independent Alliance got its start. Um, and we, we played heavily into that, and uh, we dropped a lot of hints about future continuity at that game. And so who knows what we'll, uh, what we'll do for Blood and Betrayal 3 and Rage and Retribution. You.
0: Sweet, I like it. All right, so, so we have a question here. Uh, from from our one of our co-hosts, Pete, and he was asking if you guys had any plans for a mobile phone app. So I know you guys can't comment on anything, so I'm going to change the wording of this and say, hey, Loopy and uh, and Jason, wouldn't it be awesome if we had some mobile phone apps to help us in gaming uh, at, at LARP events? Do you think that would be pretty cool?
2: Yes, it would be pretty cool. In fact, our local troop game has developed um, its own Oh, and I know that there are players out there who um also like have hackneyed up their own mobile tools to make larping a little easier for them um it, you know the the advent of mobile um access has actually i think changed larping a little bit. It's even given me some storyteller ideas uh I want to do things like Um, set up like fake Twitter accounts and do like influence like like, like so you know you always have those moments where the storyteller comes in and says oh there is a news media alert and everyone on their phones gets a news media alert that a plane has crashed right well wouldn't it be super cool if I could just set up a fake Twitter account for the game and on the fake Twitter account for the game, I just put up a, a, I preload a news media alert that's going to happen at 10.30, and I, as a storyteller, I can do that before the yeah. game and it just happens. Um, so you know, that's the sort of triggered. thing that I have considered.
3: I was going to say, it sounds like very much like, you know, like triggered events then that you mm-hmm. have ready. I like, imagine, going back to the whole, how you do the the setting up of, of an environment and a space to make it seem more like, you know, it's the Umbra or, or so, so forth then again, you can mostly, if there was a way to have the app, like, trigger certain, uh, certain s- sort of sound effect, which somehow to, a, to werewolf players is like, you know, represents uh, another way they, obviously, werewolves being able to smell better and hear better than humans, maybe that's something to look into, is how you can use sound to tie into things that they uh, detect, maybe. Hmm.
0: I love it. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a cool idea to, uh, to bring into games and, and use. A uh, good tool. So finally, uh, I was just kind of curious how Night Studios currently interacts with all the different uh, World of Darkness LARP communities. You know, there's quite a few. You've got, um, you know, One World by Night, for example, amongst others, and uh, a lot of global uh, LARPs going on all over the world. So yeah, how do you guys uh, interact with them, discuss things with them? Just a little just a little curious and if you want to give any shout outs that's cool too
2: <laughs> that's so easy because because we're part of them <laughs> we came yeah. up we came up through them <laughs> we're, we're members of all of them so um, interacting with them is very natural for us um, I joined one world by night in 1998 I still have a character in one world by night uh, I am also very heavily involved in our local independent alliance larp troop, Desert of Shadows. Um, I just ran a, a reunion game for my uh, university LARP troop. Um, so, you know, I, I I play all the time. Um, I, like, I, I have been a member of this community for so long that extracting myself from it would feel weird. Uh,
5: for me, um, I started up in... Uh Mind's Eye Society uh, years and years ago. Um, I'm a member of uh, Underground Theater. I'm a member of the Hidden Parlor. Uh, We're running a game for Hidden Parlor tonight. Um, I'm a member of Obi-Wan. I'm a member of uh, the Guru Nation. Uh, In May, I'm going to their big um, campout event that's called WinSEG. and I'm sure I totally pictured the, the the pronunciation of that which is uh, um, and that's supposed to be a huge uh, camp out fun event uh, um, extravaganza over a weekend in uh, Wisconsin so I'm very excited about that um, like I'll, every person on my team and staff is a is a larper um, that have been in multiple organizations um, uh, we have represented uh, on our think tank from every big club um, that that we can access that uh, you know give us opinions and stuff like that. We're very much uh, a believer that uh, um, we have to be part of the community in order to write for the
1: community.
0: Chig, Chris, you guys got any uh, final questions for our guests here?
3: I have nothing more to ask. Chig is silent. He's yes. off somewhere.
2: <laughs> it's well, a good thing they right, yeah. didn't devolve into LARP war stories because that's very much a part of the LARP community. You know, everybody <laughs> goes to have dinner after after LARP c- concludes to just sort of uh, shed the energy of the game and share war stories. And sometimes that goes till six in the morning. So, <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: I did not realize I had my uh, microphone muted. There, sorry, I was going to ask. <laughs> um, uh, so, Chris uh, over in the UK has a local LARPing events near him apparently um, I, I did check the uh, map on your site and uh, the nearest LARP to me apparently shut down in 2014, the next nearest is 6 hours away um, yeah, it's horrible um, where are you from? I am in uh, DFW area of Texas which is a big blank space on your map
5: <laughs> is that kind of near Austin?
4: no no? Um. no Poke at me.
5: There are there are a huge huge number of communities um, in Texas, and there might be one sooner or closer to you that's not uh,
2: um,
5: on our uh, website just yet.
2: Yeah, okay. I, I know of, I know of several games in Texas as well.
4: Yeah, but several games in Texas is like saying, oh, there's a couple of games in France. It's not a small area. So.
2: <laughs> I know, yeah, I know, so, but it so. is a big community. It is a big community. So, yeah, definitely get a hold of us offline. We'll see if there, there are ones um, not listed on our website that, that we can help you find or maybe well, my, through my some of the other more, community groups.
4: My my question was more of a general one. Um, how do you suggest to a new player uh, who doesn't have an, a game in their area what do you suggest they do to start a game in that area? Oh, uh,
5: well... Um,
4: Should they be so inclined?
5: A, a lot of times um, there'll be game stores or there'll be um, um, there'll be college community games, um, like groups or that sort of thing. Um, I recommend Meetup. Um, that's how we recruited a bunch of people for our Hidden Parlor game. Um, doing a Facebook group... Um, and if you if you set the settings just right, people that are interested in that sort of thing will will find you.
2: Meetup is really good. Also, um, I have had a lot of luck with fan related events or fan related like locations so here in Las Vegas we have a local bar it's called the Millennium and it's just a fandom related bar you know they do everything from Star Wars to steampunk whatever um, and uh, we've spoken to a bunch of people who are like oh we used to love Vampire the Masquerade back in the day I'm like come come join our game and the owner has let us communicate about our game through there um, I've also been to um, various fan conventions or comic book stores even um where you find people who are just generally interested in um even say fan media properties like tv shows like supernatural or true blood or whatever um who you can reach out to as fans and you find that they'll have a have an interest in gaming as well because there's a lot of crossover um in the demographic
0: yeah chig so here's what i would do go on facebook make a Facebook group called Vampires of Dallas and just see what happens, man. If nothing else, you'll find some interesting people. All right, cool. So, Jason, Loopy, how can people find... By Night Studios, and uh, also you guys—if if you're open to a little like Twitter communication or something like that—how uh, can people contact you?
2: You can find us at bynightstudios.com, very obviously, and I think we all have bios on that page with links to our social media too. Uh, yes. um. Uh, you can definitely find me on Facebook. I think my Facebook link is Loopy Girl. L O O P Y G I R L. Um, I'm love chatting with people about my night studio stuff and Vampire LARP in general, or Werewolf LARP in general. So I'm I've I have been told that I am friendly and easy to talk to. So. Uh, anybody is welcome to contact me anytime about our stuff. And I would also like to say that in addition to our core rulebook, we have a bunch of uh, plot books um, available uh, like Pickering Lives, and um, all of the plots from Blood and Betrayal 1 are currently available. So we have a lot of storyteller tools too. Um, people often forget about. So take a look at those on b uh,
5: Yeah, so Loopy pointed out where you can find uh, my contact information. I'm usually pretty friendly also. Um um and i answer stuff when i can so um feel free to chat me up and the like
0: cool all right and uh chris we had a contest yes. that we were going to do for a copy of mind's eye theater vampire and we never actually figured out what the contest um, was yeah
3: we just need some general question of interest so people have an excuse to send us emails and we can do a draw um i, I think i think it should be what vampire
0: clan werewolf tribe or Vampire Bloodline, would you like to LARP as? Yeah, That's it. Just send us that question over to DarkerDaysRadio at gmail.com uh, We'll have one winner chosen at random and uh, we'll also read off any cool suggestions or ideas uh, from the contest here on the show. So it should be a good time. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, if you want to get in contact with us here at Darker days Radio, you can go to uh, our website, Darker-Days.org Shoot us an email over at DarkerDaysRadio at com. Or uh, follow us on Twitter at at Darker Days Radio, Radio. Yeah,
3: yeah. And of course, we have the Facebook. We have a Google Plus community. Um, we've also got some cool stuff coming up. So in about an hour's time, I'm recording with our sometime co-host James, uh, and because he's done some vampire art, I think Vampire the Requiem, I believe. And we are interviewing um, someone that took part at the end of line. Uh, event and who who also does Nordic LARP so it's more of a Nordic LARP bonus episode that you will be able to listen to Um, and then I am trying to now finally get sorted the first episode of Network Zero which is the New Water Darkness, I say Chronicles Darkness spin-off show. Uh, What else do we have Mike? We have something else going on Oh we've got a cool interview coming up uh, on the next show haven't we?
0: Yes, we do, with uh, Thomas uh, Piranin
3: and Andy Chambers. Who are giants of wargaming and computer game design as well, so that'll be exciting. And we'll be sure to ask them
0: if they've ever played Vampire the Masquerade or something.
3: <sighs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they... Uh, I'm sure they have, definitely. I'm sure they have some connection to the world of if darkness. If you the pictures in the of, of, of Andy darkness. Chambers in classic, in classic issues of White Dwarf, you definitely say he's played Vampire. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, cool. Well, Loopy, Jason the Younger, and Jason the Elder, wherever you are, (laughs) thank you very much for uh, joining us here on the show, and uh, really excited to talk to you guys. Thank you very much. Uh, It's been great. Thank Thank you you so much much. for
2: having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys.
5: Yes, thank you very much for hosting us. Um, It was fun.
3: Great. Excellent. Very much, yeah.
0: And, yeah, with that, uh, everyone, have a good night. Bye.